So, what do you think about this before Becca gets here? This person said, One theory that I have is that all the relatively normal Germans left in the 1830s and 1840s to settle Ohio. And I use this to explain both Germany and Ohio. <laughs> Wait, who said that? You know uh, that woman who rotates sandwiches? What? The woman she, who rotates sandwiches. Is this like a sequel to the girl with the dragon tattoo? She has a website where when she eats sandwiches, she purchased like a light box and like a little rotating tray and stuff. And she puts her sandwiches on and she does like high definition 3D scans and rotates the sandwiches. So all the normal Germans left to go to Ohio and there's only abnormal Germans left yeah, in Germany. All the Germans who remained were freaks. That to me explains Germany, but how does that explain Ohio? But they're not as weird as the ones in Germany. No, but there are weird things about Ohio that's not explained by that. Like the Loveland Frogman. That's our cryptid. Did you know that? I didn't know Ohio's nickname was Loveland. No, 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 it's not. It's a little small town. But the cryptid of Ohio is the Loveland Frogman, which is kind of like a terrifying Kermit, if you think about it. Okay, I will. Welcome to Fire the Canon. This is the podcast where we read the books in the Western canon and decide if they belong or not. I am your host, Jackie. I'm your host and your guide for this episode, Rachel. And I'm Becca. I'm kind of a host, but I'm excited to see what we're talking about this episode because I don't know. Despite being a host, she's excited. Oh, you don't even know what we're talking about. (laughs) No, I don't even know what we're talking about. (laughs) Despite me being a host, I have only read like half of what we're supposed to talk about today. And that's why Rachel's our guide. Which is insane to me. So we put up a poll on the Patreon that said in honor of the Ides of March, which is coming up, we wanted to know what war themed book our patrons wanted us to cover. And we gave them the choice of The Art of War by Sun Tzu or The Prince by Niccolo Machiavelli, and it was a tie. So we then asked Stephen, who is one of our patrons who did not vote, to break the tie, and he voted for The Prince. So we are today covering The Prince by Machiavelli. Wow, Stephen. Yeah, he's racist. (laughs) Yeah, that's what it sounds like. (laughs) It's not a Western book, but it is in the Western canon, I would argue. Yeah, I I agree. And it's one of the few non-Western books that made it to the canon And it's not even good enough for old white boy over there. Well, Rachel told him it's really boring. So that's why he picked this one. So actually it's Rachel. No, no, no. What I've been trying to say is that when Jackie and I were talking about it, I gave her like two reasons for why I hoped we would go with the prince. And then I said like, I won't say anything to Steven. I'll just let him Uh, vote and not influence him. And then he picked the prince and he gave the exact same reasons that I had given Jackie. Does he know much about either of them? Uh, He knows more than you, I guess. I guess so. (laughs) What what were his reasons? (laughs) He said it was because the prince is shorter and because the art of war is like boring because people think it's full of wisdom but actually it's like if you have x number of horses in your army you need this many pounds of rice like it's it's so practical <laughs> but good for him though but people think it's stuff like the winds of change something 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 like oh it's eastern mysticism but no it's like a guy who's like this is how much rice you need <laughs> i didn't think it was eastern mysticism i thought it was like this is how you make not war. you people <laughs> i'm a person i thought it was like 
like you need to have a r- supply route or you can't do it. Yeah, but it's it's just it's really not philosophical. People think that the whole thing probably is because there are like a couple quotes from the art of war where people are like, "Ooh, it's like a mindset thing." Isn't it? Is that the one where it's like keep your friends close but your enemies closer? Is that from the art of war? Or did I make Maybe. that up? Maybe. I'm going to Google it. Robot Jacob here. In fact, Jackie is correct for once. The phrase keep your friends close but your enemies closer is in fact attributed to Sun Tzu. But that's the kind of thing I would imagine is in it, even if it's not, is like, here's like psychologically, like how you make war on people and like get the best of your enemies and things like that. But apparently it's like, here's how you feed horses. Yeah, (laughs) but it's just like instructions and it's not written like with a plot. Like there's no plot. Yeah, there's no plot. It's not a novel. There's no plot to this either. Yeah. Okay, here's a quote from The Art of War. In the midst of chaos, there is also opportunity. And it's probably like the opportunity to gather more rice to feed your horses. <laughs> He's right, though. <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> and then uh, let your plans be dark and impenetrable as night. And when you move, fall like a thunderbolt. So, like, people hear That's cool. those. I know. There are some very cool sounding quotes from it. But the vast majority is not quotes. <laughs> what if Rachel was like, that's just so boring and practical. Fall like a thunderbolt. Yeah, duh. We all know that. Yeah, we do that every day. Be as swift as the coursing river. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what if that was just the entire book? Um, no, this doesn't have a plot either. The prince the prince does not have a plot. And it's actually also very practical, Ugh, but not quite like gross. that. So It's philosophical. Yeah, it's philosophical. But it, it is, does consist of very practical advice to new princes. So when it says the prince. Wait, really? Yeah. It's just for princes? So like advice for babies. So not for me then. When it says the prince, the title does not refer to, it's not like a story about a particular prince. It's not the little prince. It's the, it's the prince. And it follows the format of the prince should do this. If you're a prince, you should be doing this. If you're a prince, you should not be doing this. You should be doing this instead. And it's organized into a bunch of little chapters. And the first like 13 of them are about different principalities and it's like that I'll let Rachel describe it more in detail but I'll just tell you the reason why I didn't read half (laughs) of it was because I started reading and it was like on principalities that are inherited on principalities that are not inherited on a principality that used to be someone else's and now it's yours on a principality that was taken from something and then these are chunks of land right yeah I guess to me that was like as riveting as reading like a code of regulations of like some type of I don't know like regulations for some law it was so boring to me and so I I physically could not make myself my eyes would look at it and they would go ah and I couldn't look at it anymore so I scroll down to chapter 14 which is on war and then from there on it was a like, I thought it was more promising <laughs> yeah now we're getting to the art of war by Machiavelli <laughs> oh but can I ask a question as well yeah yeah um, yeah. What is the Ides of March? What is that? <laughs> I actually don't know either. Can you explain <laughs> yeah. it? What so, if it turns out yeah. none of us know? <laughs> no, no, no. Let me get the exact dates for you because I know there's going to be like a dork who's like. <laughs> exactly. I know Charlie Brown's teacher is listening. 
In in our calendar, it corresponds to the 15th of March, and it was like a significant day for the Romans, and it was famous because it's the day that Julius Caesar got assassinated. Uh, and I'm eating a Caesar salad. Yeah, and there's like a prophecy that was like, beware the Ides of March. So anyway, I was like, oh, okay, the Ides of March, you know, some statecraft. Let's use that as a very flimsy excuse. Like anarchy. <laughs> yeah. Uprisings, yeah. war. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sure, yeah. Well, this is more appropriate than because it's Italian. Yes, that's another thing. And he does talk about the Romans. Becca, it's not Italian-American, it's just Italian. So this, to give it a little context, Machiavelli lived in the 1500s. This, I think, was written in like maybe 1515 or something while he was still alive. He wrote it while he was still alive. <laughs> the pr- the print copy of it did not come out until 1532, which was after his death. Mm. Um, and there's some different interesting theories about it. He was a weird guy. Do you want to give a little summary of him? No. And I'm going to explain why. So, Rebecca, I don't know if you listened, but we had a professor on the podcast a couple years ago named Ada Palmer who studies a lot of things. But she came on our Romeo and Juliet episode because it was like set in Italy around the time period that she specializes in. So she does a lot of like Renaissance Renaissance history, Florence history, etc. And she's very knowledgeable and very interesting. And when Jackie and I were getting ready for this, I was like, wait a second, I'll read out to her and see if she might want to come on and talk to us about Machiavelli because I was like I'm sure she will have better stuff to say to us than we would just find on Wikipedia or in like three articles and maybe a book if we had time. Oh really? Selling a short there. And I reached out and she was like oh I would love to come on. I Like I just finished a book about him. Wow perfect. <laughs> By which she meant she wrote a book about him not she yeah, finished yeah, reading she wrote one. <laughs> so I don't want to talk very much about him or his context. I just want to say, are you familiar with the, um, it was the Borgias, right? That he wrote this for, one of them. Are you familiar with that family, Becca? He didn't, no, he didn't uh, write it for the Borgias. He did talk about them, but who did he write it for? The the Medicis. Oh, the Medicis. They were his oh, yeah. patrons or something, is that right? Yeah, the Medicis. Was it Lorenzo de Medici? Is that who? Oh, yes. I actually knew about yeah. the Medicis. They were all up in everybody's business for a while. Yeah, so, but he talked a lot about <laughs> Cesare Borgia, who is a pope. With a lot of kids. And he was quite evil and very cruel, but he, he kind of made him almost like the hero of this, and that's where, like, like kind of the term Machiavellian comes from to describe like someone who's like calculating and cruel and just like all about power and success. Their own advantage. Yeah, to the detriment of all else. So Cesare Borgia sucked, but he was like, he's an example of a great prince, I guess. Um, But he wrote it for the Medicis, specifically for Lorenzo de' Medici. His homeboy. And I will say that there's, yeah, his homeboy. (laughs) There's one of the theories is that he wrote this full of bad advice because he secretly wanted to ruin Lorenzo. And the reason it didn't work is because... Lorenzo's an idiot? Lorenzo didn't read it. (laughs) He just didn't read (laughs) it. Like you. Much like you. (laughs) (laughs) You're not getting me, Machiavelli. Because I'm not reading this crap. Yeah. So Rachel's going to walk us through it. I have a list of things that I wrote, agree, disagree, and funny. The agree part is very short. Uh, So I'm just going to let Rachel walk us through and I'll tell you what what I think as it comes up. And I will say one important thing about Nikolai Machiavelli that I wonder if Ada... Niccolo. Niccolo, whoever. Niccolo. What that... I wonder if Ada Palmer will bring up. And it's that the evil uncle from Princess Diaries 2, Royal Engagement, is obsessed with Machiavelli. That's all. Makes sense. I wonder if she will bring that up. (laughs) I think there's been various characters based on him. Uh, Iago from Othello, I think, might have been based on him. I thought you were going to say Iago from Aladdin. (laughs) 
Well, yeah. Well, maybe. Actually, that's more likely. Iago is based on Iago, so. <laughs> Which came first, Aladdin or Othello? I mean, Othello, but. Actually, well, Aladdin no, did, right? Definitely because he was Aladdin. from Arabian Nights. Well, but yeah. Iago wasn't in Aladdin in the original Aladdin. Correct. Yes. <laughs> and also in the original Aladdin, the boy Aladdin, despite his name, was Chinese. Yeah. Uh-huh. Despite his name. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So I read this book a long time ago. It is very short, for one thing. And thank goodness. So, yeah, thank goodness. So then the way that I went over it today was I started reading some of it, and then I was like, oh, let me find an audiobook. The audiobook is so short. That's why I'm shocked Jackie didn't just, like, listen to that for the first few Are chapters. Are you sure it's complete? I'm 100% positive because I've read the book. If you don't speed it up at all, it's, like, three hours. Wow, and I always speed it the up. The unabridged. Yeah, so I'm saying you could listen to it in like two hours. Here's the funny thing is when I was on YouTube, like looking for an audiobook that I wanted to listen to, I clicked on one and it was a British guy with an accent. And I was like, this guy, his voice is so unpleasant. I hate listening to him. What's going on? And then I realized that it's a guy who I don't want to, I'm not going to shout him out, shout him down, but it wasn't on his main channel, but he's like a very well-known extremist far-right YouTuber who like ran on an insane anti-immigrant political platform in the UK and he got like 1% of the vote or something. <laughs> but I I recognize I his think, voice. <laughs> I think it makes sense he would be into Machiavelli. <laughs> so I was like, I'm not listening to him. And I switched to a different guy and that listening experience was great. <laughs> Couldn't recommend more. <laughs> Before we get started... I told Rachel, I have a story to tell you guys. Yes. Skip ahead like 10 minutes if you don't want to hear the story and you just want to get right to Machiavelli. But speaking of toxic men, oh my God. Machinations, I hope. Machinations galore. Yeah, I was going to ask if you used any of what you learned from reading The Prince on this guy. Not yet. Okay. Not yet, because I mean, I've only worked one day (laughs) since reading it. Tell tell us the the tale. So. I'll tell you, and I think Becca is going to be blown away by this as well because she's also in the medical field. So I'll just say without saying where I work or the, this person's name that I work in a hospital and I'm working with a man right now who is a resident, which means he's a doctor, yep. but he's not yet board certified in genetics. So he's a doctor, but he, he's not a geneticist yet, but he's training to be one. And he is awful. Oh, He is on a probation plan because last year when he was on his genetics rotation with us he was so toxic and sexist and bad at his job some examples no he told uh one of my colleagues i was not here at this hospital at the time i was somewhere else but he told her i will listen to what you have to say when you get a male physician to tell to tell it to me oh i'm not listening to it from you or a female physician well we'll see so he told her i don't i don't listen to people who are younger than me i don't value your opinion plot twist he was younger than her. She just looked better. So that's a, oh, that's a dunk on him. Yeah. He also told her she has a, quote, condescending face. And he was so mean to patients and just overall completely sexist and bad at his job and bad at communicating. And they told him, you are going to get fired if you don't shape up. So he went somewhere else and, like, took some kind of sabbatical or something. And now he's back. Yikes. And I've been dreading working with this man. Anyway, <laughs> long story short, he's been mostly okay. He's been, like, rude to me a few times, but, like, nothing crazy. Today, though, he was making a presentation oh, to the whole genetics division. There were people in the room and there were lots of people online, doctors, students 
parents, genetic counselors, everybody's listening. And he had a slide about a doctor who described a syndrome called Potter syndrome. She was Dr. Potter from 1946. You know the syndrome, Becca? Mm -hmm. I'm familiar. Potter sequence. Yes. Anyway, on his slide, he referred to her as, quote, Mrs. Potter. And he was like, this is Mrs. Potter. She was an OBGYN. She described this and that. And one of my colleagues raised her hand and was like, so I'm sorry, was she a doctor? And he said, yeah, she was a doctor. And she said, okay, so for future reference, then it should be Dr. Potter, not Mrs. Potter. And he doubled down and said, we have no word to describe a female doctor. What? What? And everybody was like, it's doctor. The word is doc. It's a gender neutral term. That's what you call a female doctor. And he tripled down and said, but how am I supposed to make it clear that she was a woman? And we were like- Didn't he show a picture? No, he didn't have a picture of her, but why does it matter? Yeah, like, no, it doesn't matter. You could just say her name was Dr. Edith Potter, and I think we all would have figured out she was a woman. Also, it has nothing to do with the subject at hand. So or he what he said, basically, this is do- like Dr. Potter. She is- She, the- <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. So he called her Mrs. Potter. He, She was- an MD and a PhD. So she was like a double doctor, first of all. And also that Back was her maiden days. name. Yeah, that wasn't even like her married name. He just made up a Mrs. Potter. But can you believe this man told an entire division of the hospital that we don't have a way to refer to a female doctor, so we have to call her Mrs.? He's insane. That's insane. And here's, wait, Becca, I'm going to say something else. He's not from the US, but in his language, there is a word for a female doctor. <laughs> Okay. And, and it's basically doctor. He's very fluent in English. Yeah. yeah. Like, but yeah. it's not like he comes from a place that, like, doctor is there's a no concept. word and there's no yeah. female version. Like, there's a version. Well, but it just, it's not a gendered word is the whole point. That's the thing. In English, I know, but I'm just saying, like, it's not even like he, he can use that as an excuse yeah. because that's not the case in his native language. It's not like he's from another <laughs> planet. Another planet that doesn't have women in it. Yeah, mm-hmm. he showed his whole entire ass because what I want to do is like make a presentation where I say like Mr. So-and-so. We don't really have a word for a male doctor. I don't know what to call him because he just yeah. made it like very clear that he thinks if you call someone doctor, you're just assuming they're a man. Yeah. Right. Or also, like, it's more important that you know that she was a woman than that she was a doctor. Right. Like, right. Like, and I was like, what are you doing? That's way more confusing. <laughs> like, what's this woman who's not even a doctor writing about? Like, what is she doing in so many hospitals all the time? You know, why is she over there? Everybody freaked out. Like, it became like the scandal of the afternoon. And I it have is no a, idea. At the week. Probably. Scandal of the century. (laughs) I can't get over it. We have no word to refer to a female doctor. I should have been like, oh, it's nurse. That's what you call them. Oh, no. (laughs) Should have said something about like, oh, do you know what the word is for a male idiot? Something like that. It's idiot. It's gender neutral. (laughs) So that's my my crazy thing. I bet he's read The Prince. Machiavelli says some real messed up things about women in here, I will say. He says there's no such thing as a female doctor. As a female woman. (laughs) A female woman. (laughs) We have no word to refer to a female woman. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm so excited, though. I purposefully didn't do any Googling on him or the background or the relationship with his patron because I didn't want to spoil it. I just wanted to hear what we're going to hear from Ada Palmer. I'm excited, too. I have a guess, though. You have a guess about what we're going to hear? My guess is gay. (laughs) 
I think he's gay. Oh. <laughs> okay. With his patron. Like, why are you, as a man, writing a book for another man? Yeah, it's, it's gay. <laughs> he's in love with him. Did you see, Jackie, did you see that thing? I don't remember if I sent it to you, but it was something like, my English teacher said that if a man writes you three sonnets, he loves you. But if he writes you 300 sonnets, he loves sonnets. That's true. <laughs> that's very true. <laughs> I think that's 100% true. What's the cutoff, though? Because there's a lot of wiggle room between three and 300. Like yeah. I, I, I think know. I would start to get suspicious that he actually loves sonnets more than me after yeah maybe about like after 20 <laughs> like 30. how spread out are they you know is it one a year I think one as a like year an anniversary okay. that's like the rest of my yeah. no 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 no. how are you gonna do 300 if you only do one no, 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 a year no no I'm saying you would be up to 30 you could be up to 50 maybe you know eventually I think no, it, yeah I, I think it depends on timing no I think once we got up to 20 or so I would think this guy's just gonna keep going you know he's not showing any signs of slowing down if There's... he wrote but he wrote he they're spread out by a year each time I don't know what if it's like Why for your anniversary happen? your anniversary yeah anniversary that's present. kind of romantic actually Becca haven't you ever had anybody write a sonnet to you no no one's they ever they don't just do it once a no, year no one's ever written me a sonnet they don't just do it once a year no they do it every time they want your attention wait how many sonnets have been written for you Jackie countless oh gosh <laughs> is that true i wouldn't be surprised. no not countless that means that means they love sonnets uh i don't know like three three <laughs> all from who i'm thinking of or other people is it the top hat man with the I'm, cane it's, it was mr peanut <laughs> <laughs> yeah mr peanut am i right <laughs> am i actually right <laughs> i don't know i honestly don't remember i i'm sure i have had I poems written of. for me by him and maybe by others. I don't. I've no one's ever written me a poem. Lucky That's you. Rude. But I think it's. I don't know. I. I feel like the the artsy boys. I'm not the flavor that they're after. Ew. I don't attract them. I'll write you a poem. Wow. Thanks, girl. It doesn't have to be a sonnet. It can be whatever. It has to be fewer than three, because if I write her three, that means I'm in love with her, and I'm not going to write 300. Yeah, you're so right. So I'm just yeah. going to write one. Just write one. Okay. That's the perfect well, you could write more than 30. You could write three, okay. or you could write I'll write 35. either, no, two, two or 35. Okay. Some, <laughs> That's yeah. it. Not in between two and 35, just two or 35. That should be the number. All right, Rachel, tell us about the prince. So- Something that I thought was quite funny was that basically for the first four chapters or so, it seems like all he's saying is like, you better pray to God that you inherit your principality. Because what happens yeah. if you because don't? It's, it's much more difficult. People don't respect you. You don't want to respect. How do you get a principality if you didn't inherit it? And what can you do about it if you didn't inherit you it? buy it? He says, he says you can get it by fortune or by strength. And you can like expand your own... Or like attach one or take one over, something like that. It's it's like reading the rules of yeah. Catan, yeah. but long-winded and disjointed. So you like fight people or you buy it. No, fortune like luck, Becca. Not like money. Wait, so how would you get lucky? You stay up all night. Like you trip and fall and you pull the sword out On, of stone. And stab a guy. Yeah. <laughs> and now it's yours. <laughs> something know. like that. Well, that's the thing. Why does he spend four chapters talking about how you better hope you inherited it? Like, if you did, you did. And if you didn't, you didn't. So what? A, well, if you didn't, he has advice for you. Because he was writing it okay. for his true love. Lorenzo. I don't know about that, Becca. <laughs> okay. So, basically, he's saying, like, look. If you have a hereditary principality, then everyone knows your family and they're used to you. So all you have to do is like keep do what things your dad did. exactly how they are. And yeah. also the common folk, unless you do something really bad, they tend to like the ruling family. Nice. And he says like also, 
even if someone takes over your principality, if they make one mistake, you'll be back up in there. Wow. He also, I think the thing with this is like it was constantly just examples of other guys. He's like, look, this is what Scipio Africanus did. Oh, love we him. We talked about him in, in Cicero. <laughs> He's a real guy that keeps coming back. That's the main thing I am going to do with my summary is I'm not going to give you the examples that he gives, but just understand no, that every many. time... Every time he says, like, if this, then this, he gives a cup, at least a couple examples, like, in history, so-and-so did That's it. That's why I had to stop reading it. Severus did this. Scipio did so this. So we're going to get down this. to the principles. Yeah. The prince Ipples. There are a couple names that I will oh. bring up, and I'll be like, a oh, select you know few. this guy. So a select few. So anyway, so he also says, like, look, here's why it's more difficult to hold on to a new principality than one that you have inherited. And it's basically, the main thing is, if there are people there who are, like, willing to trade their previous prince for you, then that means they're expecting you to be better. And if you're not better, that's a problem for them. <laughs> and for you. And they will very easily <laughs> trade you for someone else or get the other one. Also, it means there was someone who was willing to get rid of the first guy in the first place. That makes sense. Yeah, they're used to it. They're just used to swapping out their princes. But so here's the problem is, like, even if you try to do good things for them, it's not going to be as much as they were hoping. But if you, like, are harsh with them, that's a problem because you're in their debt for a long time because they helped you get this place. So he also says, like, if you're in a new place and they revolt, if the people are revolting, what you can do is punish them very, very harshly. And the good thing is, if you are in a new principality, you can be much more harsh with these subjects than with the ones that you've inherited. And it's not really as big of a problem. Yeah. So to me, Machiavelli's view of what it means to be a successful prince is just that you keep power. It doesn't mean that you do anything good for your people. Oh, yeah. The ultimate goal is to, to keep stay there. being a prince. Yeah. That's it's it. It's not to yeah. make it better at all. No. So he constantly says, like, look, princes shouldn't concern themselves with having a reputation for being cruel. If you need to be cruel, just be cruel and don't worry about your reputation. It's so long-winded because he's like, look, you could do a bad thing or a good thing. It's better to do a good thing, but if you have to do a bad thing, you can do a bad thing. But here's the reasons why maybe you should do a good thing instead. But here's some examples of people who did good things, but then they had to do bad things instead, and then it worked out for them. But then here's some examples of times where they did bad things and it didn't work out for them. And overall, it's better to be good than bad. But um, the reasons why you should be good and not bad are these, but then sometimes you have to do bad things. And I was like, what the yeah. fuck are you talking about? So the book is not... How to be a good prince, it's how to be a prince and remain one. How to be a prince. Yes. But he's not, he doesn't put any moral judgment on it. The way that he's presenting it is, I'm a student of history and here's what I've noticed and I'm going to break it down into chunks and support my theses with a bunch of examples. And I'm just telling you, this is what I have seen work and this is what I have seen not work. So he's not saying... You should do this because it's good or bad or mm -hmm. it's good to have power at all costs. He's just saying, if what you want is power, this is my suggestion. Mm -hmm. It's funny because he didn't even have power. He was just some guy. Yeah, he was. There's some funny stuff about that. So... <laughs> 
He also says, like, if you're going to take over a new place, it's easier if the people have the same language and culture. Cultural competence. And then all you have to do is, like, destroy the former ruling family and then keep everything else exactly the same. And the people will be fine with it. (laughs) All you have to do is destroy the former family. Kill all the kids. Yeah. (laughs) And then they say if there's a different language and stuff, then the best thing for you to do is you move there yourself. And then you can deal with problems and people will, like, be more incentivized to get along with you and they'll have an, like a reason to not cause problems because you're right there. That was one of the reasons I read that people think that he wrote this to try to ruin Lorenzo because... To make him move out. <laughs> well, no. Apparently he was saying, oh, you should live in the city with your people when really what happened with the Medicis all the time is like they always preferred to live outside the city because if you live in the city with your people, it makes it really easy for enemies to just move in and kill you and kill all your people at once. So it's almost like he was saying, hey, you should really just like back yourself into a corner. That's what you should well, do, he, Lorenzo. He wasn't saying you should live in the, the city that you have with your people. He's saying if you take over a new one, you should go move there. Oh, he said it at some <laughs> point then. The other thing is like if you live there, people will be like, oh, I don't know if I should take it over because he's there. That's what he's saying. So another thing he says is colonization is a good idea oh. because it's not as expensive to send colonizers. <laughs> but it's like, Becca, they're Italians going from one city to another city. It's not that big of a deal. Okay. It's just two little Italian guys colonizing some other little Italian <laughs> yeah. guys. Yeah. Machiavelli, like Lorenzo was terrible and he wrote this for Lorenzo. Like he didn't like Lorenzo. Is that what you're saying, Jackie? No. So they could be maybe enemies to love Lorenzo's. What? Sorry. Mm, that was yeah, a sure. I'm sorry. That was a real Yeah, stretch. Becca. They can be. Becca is on her otaku bullshit today. <laughs> yeah. I've been watching no, a Fujoshi. lot of anime. I've been catching oh, up. Oh, Fujoshi. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Not all otakus love for people to be gay, but all Fujoshis do. Okay. <laughs> so... Yeah, so he says basically, like, if you have people set up colonies, it's not so expensive. And also the only people who are going to get mad are, like, the poor people of the other country. So it's not that big of a deal. But if you set up, like, a military base, then a lot of people are going to get mad at you. So he suggests that you not do that. So no military base go over there. He also says if you take over a state or a principality in another country, you have to dominate the entire other country. Like, you have to have, like control over everything else so you can't just have so if you like, take over part of one country you have to control the whole thing he says you have to do all these things but he doesn't tell you how to do them he's just like hey you know what if you want to be a successful prince you need to take over the whole country and never lose control good good well he you has got some that? suggestions like he says you know protect the neighboring states from any other foreign powers and like if there are any stronger neighboring states you need to undermine them and work and like this them. is how much rice your horses are gonna need yes <laughs> see like that's that. where Machiavelli went wrong he didn't know how much to feed the horses he might not have even known about rice at all he might not have known about horses you seen a, a medieval or a renaissance picture of a horse they didn't know what those motherfuckers looked like yeah they were not painting those <laughs> well True. they didn't know what anything looked for a cat have you seen the monstrosity that is a medieval cat we also didn't paint babies well (laughs) or a baby for that matter i don't know if they've seen anything he he has some advice like there are a couple scattered things i thought were funny like basically he said you you have to solve problems before they're even problems because once it's like fully a problem it's too late to fix it and then he also said there's no such thing as preventing war all you're doing is delaying it to your enemy's advantage oh so he's like start it right now you gotta have war yeah (laughs) attack now that's literally what he said he's 
He said, when you become a prince, you should instantly make war. And a prince should be thinking of basically nothing but war, even in peacetime. Oh, my. He said, so let's just say, for example, you're walking around the countryside with your friends in peacetime. And you're looking at the mountains and the glens and the lakes and the streams and the hills and the woods. Normal people would be walking around thinking, look at how nice these mountains and glens and valleys and streams and woods are. A prince says to his friends, now what if the cavalry comes up on that hill over there and they're co- and they're approaching from the west? What do you do? What's going to happen if they come around that tree there? Where are you going to make your position? Who Who's has gonna- the advantage if we're here and they're there? Yeah, like, yeah. That's a really great way to be not invited on walks with your friends anymore. You're the prince. They have to invite you. They have no choice. Yeah, you have all the power. So it doesn't matter if they like yeah. you because they're afraid of you. That would just be exhausting. If I went for well, a walk he... with you and you were like, wait, what if somebody popped out over there? I mean, just leave me you alone. You have to come with me, Jackie, or I will kill you. That's the deal. <laughs> I'll come with you, but I'm not going to enjoy it. I don't care. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> he also says when you take control, you need to instantly arm all the people, which maybe also isn't a great idea. That's pretty good. What if they don't like you? Yeah, absolutely. If they don't like you, you should not arm them. Well, I think you're supposed to kill them if they don't like you. (laughs) Anyway, so here's an example. This one, Becca, is a guy that you know. He says, this chapter, chapter four, was called Why Alexander's Successors Were Able to Keep Possession of Darius's Kingdom After Alexander's Death. Mm. Which, here's a funny little thing, is you remember the extremist who was voicing the original audiobook? He is angry. He's currently throwing a fit because there's like a new miniseries about Alexander the Great that accurately mm-hmm. shows him being gay with other men mm-hmm. and he's mad about it. Yeah, he was gay for sure. <laughs> he was gay. He's one of the guys, or at least he was he was like bisexual. No, nope, really... he was in love mm. with that man who died and he threw a big fit when he died. He was in love. He was with in him. love with a lot of men. He was in love with a lot of guys. But I was just talking with someone about this this weekend. Like he was in like a trio of friends and then he like fell in love with the awesome. one guy and they like ruled Being gay together and had a great time together and they stayed friends with their other guy. And it was just like a trio of three kind of gay guys just like ruling the ancient world. Like, yeah, that, that sounds fun. That's about as good as it gets back in and the And the third guy, he didn't feel like a third wheel. He just was like, I support your love. He just loved it. They love love. Yeah. The thing about Alexander the Great, which is what I was tell- talking to Becca about like last week is that normally if you say something like the ancient Greeks you couldn't use the word gay to describe their relationships because like a lot of their like sexual interactions were more about politics and power and whatever like it doesn't make sense to say like this was a gay man but for Alexander like it it kind of does make sense to say no he was a gay man he basically had a husband or at least he was a bisexual man who really preferred men (laughs) he really loved politics yeah he's just all about politics you call him Machiavellian the way that he kept falling in love with men. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> Machiavelli wasn't gay. <laughs> no, but if yeah. being gay is politics and politics is gay, then he was very political. There yeah. you go. Full circle. Anyway, so he says there are two kinds of countries, like two kinds of ways to govern a country. And one is you appoint ministers and the other is you have nobles. So he said there are a couple problems, which number one, obviously a noble kind of rules in their own right and they have subjects who are loyal to them and then a minister you get to a point and you can kind of swap them in and out as you need to and he says that it's better to have ministers instead of nobles because then you're like the supreme ruler there's no one else who could command your people's loyalty but there's a little bit of a twist which he says 
If you have ministers, it's harder for the country to be like invaded and taken over and for them to be corrupted because like even if they turn against you, the people, why would they want to follow, what would you call them, the master of the chambers or something? Like they don't care about that guy. The problem is though, it's a lot harder to conquer the country, but once they're in there, they don't care as much, you know? Like who cares if someone takes over and replaces all the ministers with their own ministers? And then mm -hmm. he said, but if you have nobles, it's super easy for them to take over because, like, you can always find some noble to scheme with who thinks that they deserve to have more power. It's easier for an outside force to take over your country if you govern with use of nobles. But, yeah, so but they're saying the problem is, like, oh, for it's, a it's harder for the outside force to hold on to it afterwards. It's easier to hold on to it if it's oh, ministers, but it's harder to get okay, in there yeah. if it's ministers. Oh, and you found this interesting? Okay. Yeah. How did you not find it interesting? Well, because you didn't read it. <laughs> yeah. uh, he has he has this attitude that uh, men are just bad at their core, not like man, man, but like humanity, man. He was like, look, because men are bad and they are always going to lie to you, you just have to always have the upper hand and like don't ever trust that anyone is going to do anything for you just because they like you because everybody's actually bad. So, like, it would be nice if you had people that liked you and genuinely cared about you and supported you because they support you, but, like, just don't rely on that. Give yourself the ministers. Yeah. Are you enjoying this tale of murder and deceit? If so, join us on Patreon, patreon.com slash firethecanon. You can also get in touch with us in a variety of manners. We have Facebook, Instagram, the app once formerly known as Twitter, which is now X. No, no. Twitter's better. It's a better name. Better Whatever. concept. Yeah, I agree too, but you know, you changed We're it. We're at Fire the Cannon Pod basically everywhere. You can email us, firethecannonpodcast at gmail.com, blah, blah, blah. We love to hear from you. Leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and that would be great. And let us know. Sorry, don't let us know. We already know about our podcast. Yeah, we let do. Let someone who doesn't know about our podcast about our podcast, if you don't mind, because we hope to dominate the field. Of all other podcasts. <laughs> we promise. Yeah, we're not going to kill the dominant podcasters that are already there. We just want to join them. Yeah. That's that all. Cool? We promise. That's all. We we're promise. We're not lying. We promise. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Back to the episode. Let's see what this guy's got to say about other stuff. So he says, here's the problem also, is that some places, they're used to living under like a domineering ruler who can tell them what to do. And then some places that you take over, maybe they're used to living freely and having their own laws. And he says, like, if you take over from a guy who's basically a dictator, the people don't care. Like, just do whatever because they really don't care. They're swapping him out for you. It doesn't affect them. But if you take over a republic you're kind of screwed because no matter what, it does not matter how well you treat these people. They lived free and they will never forget that. And they will, like, that is going to have a stronger hold over them than any prosperity that you bring. So he's like, you've got to destroy them all if you take over a republic. It's like if you come in as a step-parent and you're taking over from, like, their dad was really, really strict and abusive or something. Or, oh, yeah. Or no. Or if the kids are just wild and they never had any discipline, then you're going to have a much harder time mm -hmm. than taking over for the guy who sucked. Yeah. So that's, I mean, yeah. that's the thing. He's like, if this state has ever been free, you've got to completely destroy them or else you're going to be in danger no matter what because like, they'll kill keep them all. Then what's the well, point? Maybe he's saying don't bother. <laughs> like, don't bother taking them. <laughs> oh, okay. Because if they're all dead, then what do you even yeah. have? You know? Yeah, who knows? Anyway, that that's what he's saying. He's just saying if you take over a republic, they will hate you no matter what. 
they just they're gonna hate you forever you're not my real prince <laughs> yeah <laughs> my step prince i don't want a prince <laughs> i hate my step prince <laughs> He also talks about like if you if you take over a state because of your own skill, then obviously it'll be easier for you to maintain control than if you were helped out by people who lived in the country or you found like some stroke of luck. Maybe they hate their current prince. So you just keep them happy and maybe they'll keep you up there. Yeah, I mean that's the thing is he's saying if you rely on anyone for your power or getting your power, you know, it just makes your position weaker than it would otherwise. But there's all these different classes of people you have to keep happy. Like you have to keep the nobles happy, you have to keep the soldiers happy, and you have to keep the people happy. And kind of the church, too. He talks about that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, sometimes the church and the nobles overlap. You got to balance it all. If you live in a state with like a ton of soldiers, then you better just keep the soldiers happy and the people be damned. But most of the time, you got to kind of balance it. I mean, it should be obvious that... If if you, I, I mean, honestly, it really should be obvious, but it's possible this Lorenzo was an idiot. But like, if you can take over a place all on your own, obviously you're in a stronger position. Yeah, this, it was just too, it was just too much. It, it, he didn't need to use so many words. I mean, he might have been an idiot. We'll find out. Well, he didn't read it, right? Uh, apparently not. So he's got that not going for him. He's that, he's got that not going he's for him. He's got that not going for him. So he has, there's a whole chapter, and the name of the chapter is Concerning Those Who Become Princes by Evil Means. Ooh. Ooh. Jackie, did you read that one? It was chapter eight. Nope. Oh, okay. And it's basically like, if you use crimes, he's saying like, sometimes you can use crimes to become a prince. As opposed to what? Going in and killing everyone? That's not a crime? Like doing it in a in an illegal manner. He says that if you do that to become the prince then you will be able to gain power. But the problem is you you could never be a glorious prince. Well, who cares? It, this isn't called the glorious prince. It's called the prince. Some people, yeah, this is just the prince. <laughs> the regular prince. <laughs> the regular prince. <laughs> but my thing is, but taking it over with war, are you not killing a bunch of people if you're doing that? You know? It depends. So he says, like, if you only use cruelty at the very beginning, it'll be okay. Sometimes all you have to do is just kill the regular prince. You don't have to kill everybody in the whole kingdom. Use just as much as required. If you're more evil mm -hmm. and more cruel than necessary, or if you keep being evil afterwards, then that's a problem for you. Is it not illegal to yeah. kill the current prince, though? Not if you become the prince. You make it legal. <laughs> you can retroactively make it legal. You're so caught up on all this killing, Becca. Just kill anybody you want. It's 1,500. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen a baby in 1,500? Oh, hideous. <laughs> no, I have not. And neither did they. <laughs> but he says, like, if you're cruel at the beginning and then you're, like, a pretty much a normal great guy who's predictable after that, people will forget after a while yeah. and they won't resent you anymore and they'll be fine with it. One thing he says a lot is that the worst thing you can possibly do to turn the people against you is to take their property from yeah. them. He says, look, if you have to like, for example, put somebody to death because they disobeyed you, then that might make their family sad, but a man will sooner forget the death of his father than the loss yeah. of his property. Oh, I, I like, don't think that's true. <laughs> Maybe back then. I put that under the disagree yeah. segment for, for me. I was like, you know, you know what i feel like people back then probably didn't like losing their property but i also feel like if you killed their dad i mean look at inigo montoya yeah like he Jackie. did not 
forget that. He he's didn't. Not real. He's was real. He's was real. But Inigo Montoya, the sentiment is real. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. The sentiment. Are you really saying there wasn't a person back then who wouldn't have been like, you fucking killed my dad. Prepared like, to die. die. He left Hello. <laughs> yeah. You fucking killed my dad. Prepared to die. Who cares if you left me my donkey and my women, you know? He, he sorry, Machiavelli groups women under property, oh. obviously. Uh, but he says, yeah, it's, don't take people's stuff like you can't be hated okay, okay. Yeah. yeah so the best way to be hated is to take people's shit from them but no, you can kill their dad though yeah you can totally kill their dad they don't care he gives <laughs> a really funny example though about like being too cruel i think he said something like i don't remember who it was but he was like here's an example this guy who was killed by his bodyguard yeah he was killed by his bodyguard because he like murdered the bodyguard's brother his and then brother. also I, he yeah. insulted the bodyguard every day yeah he had it coming <laughs> He said that that was in the chapter about choosing your servants. The The yeah. problem was not that he was cruel and killed the guy's brother. The problem like, was that he yeah. he did that to his bodyguard. He said, yeah. look, if you're going to kill a guy's brother and be mean to him, right. don't make that guy responsible for keeping you safe. Right. <laughs> he just, according to Machiavelli, the problem was that he chose the wrong servant. Not that he did a bunch of oh, bad yeah. things. Because, yeah, if a bullet was flying <laughs> towards that guy, I'd push him into it at that point. Apparently, yeah. it didn't go without saying, though. Like, he needed to say it because a guy he had done that be before. <laughs> That's a crazy thing for a guy to yeah. do. I'm going to torture my bodyguard constantly. This will be great. This is not going to come back to get <laughs> This will be great for my the yeah. guarding of my body. Yeah. yeah. So he says something funny, which is like, like Jackie was saying earlier, you're always balancing the common people and the nobles. And he says, naturally, noble people, their their natural inclination is to dominate and oppress the common folk, which is kind of like... True. Based. Yeah, he, he gets it. <laughs> <laughs> and then he says, the common folk are naturally inclined... To avoid to be domination and oppression. Also, oh, he's like, okay. yes, he's right. Yes, bitch, you're right. <laughs> so basically, he just said the same thing about both of them. We're just naturally inclined one, not to be oppressed. One is ourselves. naturally inclined to oppress. One is naturally inclined to try to avoid being oppressed. <laughs> I thought you were going to say they were naturally inclined to be oppressed, and I was like, no, that would be something no, this to, motherfucker to would dislike say. oppression and avoid it. Okay. Good, and good, so good. he says, like, you have to balance it out because you can either have a principality, you can have a free city, or you can have anarchy depending on whatever. And he also does say it's way better, like, if you're going to quash someone, you want to quash the nobles. Yeah, based. And give the people what they want. <laughs> yeah, so he's right. He says, like, basically, if you're, like, if you're constantly placating the nobles, they're going to think that they are his equals, you know, and that they could have they picked him and that they could just as easily become the prince. But it says if you are a prince and you're made a prince by the people, then you're standing alone at the top of the pile, basically. And mm -hmm. also he says the people, they're easier to satisfy. And also nobles are less honest because not only do they want the same things that the people do, they also want to oppress. Oh. <laughs> Whereas the people, they just want to be left alone and live their lives. They just want to be left alone. Yeah, it's right. not that hard to make things better for the, hey, we got 20% fewer lice this year. Yay, good prince. Yeah, exactly. That's all you got to do. Which, you know, there you go. So he, he has some other things about nobles. He's like, you can either have independent nobles or nobles who are dependent on you. And if they're dependent on you, you need to honor them and love them and make more people people dependent on you <laughs> but if they're independent you might want to so, keep an eye anyway those guys. yeah well he says he says you should be benevolent to your people you know like throw them 
festivals at significant times of year. That was number one on my agree list. You agree. Number Give me one. a festival. <laughs> Enter- entertain the people with festivals and spectacles at convenient seasons of the year. Yes. And I love that he's like, you got to make it convenient for them. <laughs> Don't make them go out of their way to be entertained. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like I'm not going to introduce like go swimming day in the middle of December. Like you got it. That's not very convenient, you know. Right. It just shows that you you don't know what you're doing. You're not a man of the people, whatever. But this this supports my theory that I've always had that holidays are to subjugate us. And I love holidays. I love holidays too. You love to be subjugated. It's the only thing that keeps me going. That's the thing. It keeps you going. It keeps you like, ah. Uh. I need something to break up the monotony of my everyday life. Yeah, you need something to look forward to. You need something to be like, man, I'm I'm tired. I don't really want to think about war. Ooh, I'll think about Valentine's Day, you know? Yeah. yeah. St. Patrick's Day coming up. Oh, yeah. Love that. Oh, I love being subjugated. <laughs> Yeah, but he says, be nice to your servants, but don't be so nice to them that they don't need you anymore. Like if you give them so much money and so much honor that they don't need to rely on you anymore, then they're not going to want to be your servants. So you need to be nice to them, but not so nice that they can live without you. (laughs) He also says like part of your, the strength of a city is if you can get the people who live there to be patriotic, because if you can, then anytime you're like going through hardship or being attacked or whatever, you can convince people like, hey, you know, we love this city. We've got to pull together and do this and that and whatever. So basically cultivating patriotism is like yet another shield for your power. The city of Pawnee, Indiana is relying on you. Yeah, basically that's what it is. He also talks about like how difficult it is to take over religious principalities. But he also says like the people who live there are always happy because God is their boss. Oh, because they're happy because the Lord is their boss. Basically. And he's like, look, I can't dig into what why this is the case because basically that could make me a little blasphemous so I'm not going to look into why but anyone who lives in a religious state they love it so he just kind of leaves it there he got in big trouble well not he didn't really get in trouble but kind of got in trouble historically for one of his chapters where he said the best thing to do as a prince is to pretend to be religious but don't actually be religious like actually being religious is a mistake that will make you weak yeah he said you want people to think you're religious you want people to think you're religious but you don't actually have to be and in fact you probably shouldn't be right which was very quite blasphemous well, i mean they were literally the pope at the time probably had like 10 kids so who cares <laughs> so he was also a blasphemous guy yeah. that's crazy the pope could have so many kids yeah that's what i said no it was a thing oh another funny thing that he said is like don't worry too much about popes because the average lifespan of a pope is 10 years <laughs> wait but like after they become yeah. a pope, how do they right? even grow up to be yeah 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 <laughs> you get the average amount of time that you get to be the pope is 10 years and then somebody kills you and becomes a pope that's why nobody knew what babies looks like they just were born they were popes they they the life cycle of a pope 10 year life cycle you know i think it um it corresponds with the cicadas this year so we're gonna be overrun it's bugs and popes Ooh, i hear we're getting a 17 year pope this is gonna take this is gonna last forever so he um he also talks a lot about mercenaries and like Okay, you can have your own private troops, you can have auxiliary troops, and you can have mercenaries. And he says, like, mercenaries and auxiliary troops are useless and dangerous. But then he's also like, but you do kind of, like, you have to have some, so you just have to get the balance right. But so they're not useless. They're just dangerous, maybe. A mercenary is, like, not a professional soldier. It's just, like, a guy you pay to 
do some damage? No, they are professionals, but they're not oh. your people. Yeah, they're just whoever, just some guy. They're from somewhere else. A lot of times they would hire like Swiss people. Okay, but they're probably not really loyal to you because you're no, just they're like, not. No, no, you got to No, they're definitely. That's what he says. They are not loyal to you at all because literally the only reason they're doing it is money. And then he says like auxiliary troops are people that you borrow from like a friend. But then the problem is <laughs> they go to your enemy and be like, "Hey, can I borrow your <laughs> your soldiers yeah from like another state but the problem is basically if the auxiliaries fail in their what they're trying to do then you're you know you're screwed but if they succeed you're also screwed because you're you won your victory because of someone else Mm. so he says like they're usually better than mercenaries in terms of skill but the problem is they're loyal to a different person which makes them even more dangerous than a mercenary so you have to have your own troops what if you could get them to be loyal to you instead what if you treat them better and you're like hey how about you come to my side now and then together we kill that other guy that you came from if you could have done that you wouldn't need to you'd have your own guys oh man yeah see i would never be a Machiavellian prince. <laughs> so he says basically like if you're if you're having a great time, if if things are going really well and you're prosperous, then go ahead. Use the auxiliaries, use the mercenaries. But if, you know, if shit's going down, then it's very dangerous. The way you phrased that made it sound almost like it sounded like being on a date, like, hey, I'm having a great time. I feel like this Let is going the mercenaries. really well. Do you want to use the auxiliaries? <laughs> he also says like all that a prince needs to do is study War. War. And if you don't, you're screwed. That's the way that you lose it. Yeah. So he says basically like, hey, here's an example. Think of two guys. One guy is armed. One guy is unarmed. Has no arms. (laughs) And he's like, it would be crazy to expect the armed man to obey the unarmed man. And he says also it would be crazy for an unarmed man to feel safe if all of his servants were armed if you're unarmed basically if you don't have a sword you're going to be suspicious of a guy with a sword (laughs) and if you have a sword you're going to look down on someone without a sword so it's impossible for you to work together so everybody has to be armed Mm. you must be armed yeah he talks a lot about like yeah even in peacetime all the prince should be thinking about is war Mm -hmm. and studying it all the time one thing he said that i actually kind of liked was that if you don't plan for things and you just kind of like ride the waves of fortune, you're like, yeah, things are going well for me right now. Why would I have to plan for something bad to happen? Fortune directs half of our actions. We direct the rest. He says, or maybe a little less. I think that was kind of funny that he was like, I don't want to hedge a little bit. Like we might direct like maybe 48%, maybe not 50. I don't know. But he says, rely entirely on fortune and you're going to be lost when it changes. So that's why you have to constantly think about war, even when things are going okay right now. He calls it war. Warcraft. ABS. Always be scheming. But what about, is he not, does he ever talk about like an uprising? Is he ever worried about that? Or just outside Oh, all the time. You should be. You should be worried about it all the time. He says like, for example, he says, you know, if if your people have an uprising and you're kicked out, you know, it's it's pretty easy for you to get back in there. You just wait for the right time. But then once you're in, you must destroy them. Oh my. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So here are things that people either like or or disparage about a prince and he talks about like different qualities because he says you know oh philosophers they have this ideal of how men should live and how rulers should rule but the problem is they're thinking about the ideal and that's not the situation we're in so you know this is where his pragmatism comes out he's saying like no one on earth does everything in their life virtuously no one 
So you shouldn't be striving to achieve maximum virtue in all areas. You should be trying to get the the greatest benefit. The end justifies the means for Machiavelli. So so basically, don't worry about virtue at all. It no, seems like if you're just trying to no, get the he, benefit, he says you should worry about some things because he says basically like the main qualities that people like to see in a prince are courage, compassion. That's a, yeah, but not for their own <laughs> sake. You don't do good things for their own sake. You do them to try to yes. still be a prince. He says courage. <laughs> compassion, faith, craftiness, and generosity are the qualities people like in a prince, and the things people don't like are cowardice, cruelty, stubbornness, and miserliness. And he says, obviously, the ideal prince would have all the good qualities and none of the bad qualities, but the problem is the job of a prince is not to be a great guy. The job of a prince is to protect the state. And that's it. And sometimes... You have to have some bad qualities. And he says, if you have a vice and it makes things worse for your country, then it's evil. Like, it's actually bad. But if you're using these bad qualities to advance the state, the correct interests, then don't worry if people, like, talk crap about you, essentially, which I agree with. That's where the cruelty <laughs> part comes in. Also, I mean, that, but that's the very Machiavellian part. Like, if you use your cruelty or your to advance the state... But especially your cruelty. Yeah, like one example he gives for the the generosity, he calls it liberality as well. But it's just talking about like, you know, giving people presents. So he says people love it when a prince is generous and shares things and like is always giving people stuff. And he said the problem is that if you get the reputation for being generous, then eventually you will have to deplete your coffers and you'll have to like tax the people more and more and more. to rely on the people. Yeah. So the problem is if you start by being generous and then you change courses, people will hate you. (laughs) But so what you want to do is you start by being more miserly and then eventually people will be like, whoa, because he's being so parsimonious, he's doing a great job ruling this kingdom and he's not having to increase our taxes and like he's not wasting our money. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty good. Yeah. Anyway, so his next chapter is concerning cruelty, whether it is better to be loved than to be feared or the reverse. Mm. Oh, wait. So before we go into that, what are you guys' answers? Would you rather be feared or loved? If, am I the prince or am I myself? I'm just yourself. <laughs> loved. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Jackie? Uh, Yeah, I think I'd rather be loved. I, did, I will yeah. say I put it under my disagree list that it's better to be, spoiler alert, he thinks it's better to be feared. Yeah, because he's insane. He thinks it'd be great if you could oh, be yeah. both. Well, he Rachel will tell you why he thinks that. I mean, he, he's like, yeah, it'd be great if you could be loved, but at their heart, men are bad. And so really all you can do, you can't really guarantee that someone will love you, but you can definitely guarantee that well, they fear you. Yeah. And if people know that there are consequences to what they do and you show that there are consequences, that is going to be a stronger motivator than if if you try to make them love you. Yeah. I feel like if someone really loves you and is loyal to you, I feel like that's a stronger bond than fear. But I think if you're ruling too many people, you can't yeah. make them all love you. Yeah. If it's a large, if it's like 10 yeah. people, I can make 10 people love oh, me. no problem. But I don't think I can make a thousand people love me, you know? What yeah. if I tell them you have to all write me three sonnets? Mm-hmm. Oh, that, that work. might work. Now you all so, love me. <laughs> his example basically is like, Obviously, it's great for a prince to be compassionate, but the problem is that you have to walk such a fine line because if you have people who are disloyal and you're too compassionate, 
then you're going to create chaos and people will turn to murder and theft and whatever. But in the midst and, of chaos, there is opportunity, as Sun Tzu Well, said. he unfortunately wasn't familiar with Sun Tzu. Pick up all that rice. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then obviously when you have murderers and so on, of course you have to execute them. So he's like, you have to have some amount of cruelty to keep things good for everyone or else you're going to have murderers running around. Mm-hmm. But he's like, obviously you can't be too cruel because that's a problem. Yeah, he said people who are so nice that they just let their state be taken away or then you're being cruel by being too nice yeah because more people will die whatever so basically he's like look people are fickle and they're afraid of things and they're greedy like everyone has some mixture of bad qualities as well so if they love you obviously times are great you're not in any danger they're gonna be like yeah you know like uh my son he's gonna join your army someday no problem but then as soon as danger is at the doorstep you know it's just very easy to break the bond of love but he's saying but no matter what if they're afraid of you they'll stay afraid no matter what i i kind of thought if you're afraid of me then when times get bad you could just be like i'm just gonna run away to get away from this person. But if you love me, then you might think, maybe I'll stay around. Well, no, because then you'd kill them. How can I kill you if you ran away? You're gone. Well, that's the thing. For me, personally, I would not be able to maintain a strong bond like that with a ruler if I'm one of many subjects. Like, I'm not, there's no amount of love where I would be like, I'll stay during this siege. No, I would leave. Yeah, same. Yeah, I would also leave. Because, like, how many times have I even spoken to this guy? Yeah, exactly. Zero? I definitely can't love him. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I would just leave no matter what. Basically, here's the problem. He's like, being feared is good. <laughs> being hated is very bad and dangerous. Yeah. So he says, when you execute people, you need to make sure that you're doing it for a good reason. It's justified. Make sure it's not your bodyguard's brother. Yeah. <laughs> and he says, don't take people's property. Don't sexually assault the women because people will hate you and hold you in contempt. Yeah, you can't be doing those things. Yeah. Here's the problem, though, is he's like, the army, on the other hand, loves cruelty. They love doing cruel things. They want to be cruel, but you, you know, the people don't want you to let them. You got to stop them. That is a problem. I wonder how you stop them from being cruel. What does he say? He thinks you've got to give them a little bit, a little taste. You got to let them do it? Just a little. I think you have to balance it. Yeah, you got to give them a little. Not as much as they want. Just a little. But enough that they don't run amok. Just a little pillage. Mm -hmm. I also thought it was funny that he said one thing you should do immediately upon becoming a prince other than immediately waging war and arming all the citizens is to establish new laws and ordinances will make a man revered and admired. (laughs) Not Like the second someone comes out and is like, you know what? New rules. Oh my God, I (laughs) revere this man. I disagree with that. (laughs) I disagree with that as well. That's under my disagree list. I'm sure it depends. And it depends on what kind of rule you were living under before. You know, like if you lived with some crazy guy who did what Whatever he wanted. And then you have a new prince who's like, hey, here are the rules. Follow the rules and everything will be fine. He's like, hey, new rules just dropped this week. Mash yep, that basically. <laughs> Check out all the shit you can't do anymore. It would work, apparently. Yeah, it'll make you revered. So he says, he also talks about like, should a prince be honest and tell the truth? No. Well, he says, here's the thing. You can do stuff in accordance with the law or in accordance with force. And laws are a man thing, force is a beast thing. But a prince has to be able to do both. He has to have mastery over both. And you start with the law, but then if that doesn't work, you use force and you must become a beast. And he says the two beasts a prince must be, can you guess, Becca? There's two beasts. I don't know. Come on, guess, guess. You can't guess one of them? Anger, Beast, revenge. a creature. No, 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 they're animals. <laughs> oh, 
Oh, um, a lion yes. and a wolf? No. A lion and a fox. Oh. Yeah, because he says a fox is defenseless against a wolf, but a lion is defenseless against a trap. So you have to have both. You have to be able to frighten off wolves and you have to be able to avoid traps. Where are you putting in the wolves? He said lions fight wolves. Okay. <laughs> I don't think that's true. <laughs> I mean, maybe they could. They could if they needed to, probably. And he gives an example of a guy named Severus who embodied both the fox nice. and the lion. And it was like there were two armies and he needed to defeat them both but he knew he couldn't defeat them both if he just fought them outright so what he did was he decided to fight one with his lion self and then the other one he deceived with his Mm -hmm. fox self he told them he was going to align with them and then once the other place was destroyed then he turned on that one Mm. fox and lion yep he says like a prince shouldn't feel like he has to keep all his promises. If it puts you at a disadvantage oh. or if the reason you made the promise is gone, you can break the promise. And he says the reason you can do it is because a prince can also not rely on other people's promises. Like they okay. will also be lying to you. I knew he was going to say a prince shouldn't be honest because it's basically if you're only honest when you wanted to do the thing you said you were going to do anyway, mm-hmm. then that's not really being honest. Yeah. That's just doing whatever you want. (laughs) He also says there are examples of princes who wouldn't tell anyone anything. So like, I would argue that's not being honest. Like it's definitely not being forthcoming. Like they wouldn't let anybody know any of their plans. And then the opposite of that is just as bad where like someone tells all their plans and like doesn't keep anything secret. But if you're too secretive and you don't tell anybody what you plan to do, then you could just easily have all of your designs be... Foiled. Yeah, foiled. Like someone could just cause your plan not to work out and then you would just change your plan because nobody knew what it was in the first place and then you're like inconstant and nobody can figure out what your goal is Mm -hmm. and then they hate you. So you have to be honest to some people but not to everybody, only to the people who it matters. He says that the important thing for Prince is you must appear to be compassionate, trustworthy, kind, guileless, and religious, religiously observant. And he says it's not possible to have all of these qualities. And also you don't even want to have all of the qualities. Better not be religious. Yeah, but you want to look like you have all the qualities. And he says for the people, the only thing they care about are you achieving results and appearing virtuous. And if you occasionally have to do evil things, but like everything is, you know, running along smoothly and you seem like you're, you could be good, then the people will not worry about the occasional, you know, evil thing. This is why I feel like every modern politician must have read this and totally taken it to heart. Yeah, I agree with that. Well, they don't do it it's right. It's so easy to see through, they don't. They don't get results. No, they don't. And they lie all the time. Yeah, yeah. But there's so many of them, you can tell they're just pretending to be religious yeah. or virtuous yeah, exactly. or something. You know, it's like, I guess Machiavelli didn't say how to do it yeah. convincingly. You know, it's important to appear, but it doesn't actually seem like it's working most of the time. Um, he also said... A prince needs to let people know that he's not afraid to hear the truth. Like, should a prince listen to the opinions of others? Sometimes. Not all the people, though, because you need to let people know that the truth won't offend you. Like, you have to have some people who can tell you straight up what they actually think, because if the truth constantly offends you, then you're weak and people are going to think of you as, like, not able to handle things. he said flatterers are very dangerous. 
to a prince. Flatterers are very dangerous. So let people know that you're not afraid to hear the truth. But if everyone's allowed to tell you the truth, then no one will respect you at all. You should listen to what people have to say, but only if you ask them their opinion. Yeah. You need to pick a group of people that you trust and value the opinions of and let them know that if you ask their opinion, they must tell you the truth and that if they do, you will reward it and value it and nothing will happen to them that's bad. And he doesn't say to lie about it. He's like, actually, you do need to do this. And, you know, just make sure you do a good job. And he also says, he's like, tell them they can't just volunteer to tell you stuff whenever they want. Tell them they have to wait for you to ask, but you should be constantly asking their opinion and also listening very closely and like keeping it in your mind. You don't have to do what they say, but you do have to listen and not punish them for being honest. He does say if anyone lies to you, you need to, quote, let your anger be felt. Yeah, they need to realize that it it matters. Rip them a new one. So, which I think that's good. Okay, I agree with that. I think that's a good one. Especially because, yeah, I don't want everyone telling me their opinions all the time. Yeah, who wants that? That's why you become a prince. You don't have to listen to anyone. An unsolicited (laughs) opinion? Don't need that. I just thought it was funny, too, that he was like, look, people can't be telling you their opinions all the time, but you need to constantly be asking them for their opinions. (laughs) So it ends up working out the same way. It's just you come out on top, I guess. Basically, yeah. It gives you points, even though the same thing is happening. Yeah. So, okay. So here we come to the part where he explains why he said to arm the subjects, which he says, historically, princes would not allow their subjects to have weapons at all. But he says, here's the problem. If you take over a place and you disarm them, then that will like show them that you don't trust them, which will make them not trust you. And then you'll have animosity. You know, take my guns away. Basically. But he says, with your own subjects, you do want to arm them because that makes them more loyal to you and then they'll be able to defend you. But he says that if you take over a brand new place, the problem is it's a little more complicated. So if you let them keep their weapons... Okay, but you have to eventually weaken them. You can't let them maintain just as much strength as they've had before. So he says, like, basically, you want your soldiers occupying it for a while. Bullets are $600 each now. Maybe. Yeah, that can be it. <laughs> that, that's a good idea. He also has he has one funny thing where he says, like, princes gain power and prestige by defeating opponents. So one way you can make yourself seem better is by, like, sneakily fostering, like, creating or helping out an opposition to yourself that you can easily defeat. So you just, like, make a conflict that you can win just so you could like show people that you won something or like you sort of support a little rebellion and then you squash it like you pick a fight basically antagonizing someone you know you can be or no 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 you would want to make the little guy pick a fight with you and then you squash to enhance your prestige so he needs to start it but i need to finish it yeah yeah well you actually need to start it but you make it look like he's (laughs) starting it he thinks he's starting it so i trick him into starting it and then I finish it. Exactly. Wow. Mm-hmm. So he, he talks about different things. He talks about like whether you should build fortresses or not, whatever. He says Answer, like, no. if your people hate you, do not build a fortress <laughs> because you're screwed. So he says you got to make sure your your particular people like you because it, like what's the point? You have a fortress and everyone around it hates you. <laughs> it just says come and attack me. They know where you are. They're going to get you. <laughs> I would. Here's what I would do. I would build a fortress and not live in it. Well, you just live maybe outside the city. No, I'd say here's the Ooh. fortress. Come and get it. And meanwhile, I'm over there eating popcorn in my- Cunning, like 
like a fox. You go in there, there's just a bunch of rice and horses. <laughs> no, no traps. <laughs> Turns out this is Sun Tzu's fortress. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he talks about like how to get people to like you. Establish laws. Make a bunch of rules. And um, he also says another thing you can do is never be neutral. Oh, always have an opinion. Never be neutral in a conflict. That's me. Always. <laughs> I could do that. He says that if you're neutral and there's two parties and you don't want to take sides, the victor... Neither one's going to like you. Yeah, he won't trust you. He'll be like, you know, you're not a real friend. And the loser will be like, oh, he's a weak coward who didn't help me when if he had, then maybe I would have won, blah, blah, blah. Also, it just makes sense that if you're neutral, the only people who are going to like you are the ones who are also neutral and nobody needed their support anyway because they're neutral. Because they're not going to help anyone. They'll never help yeah, they you. Just, yeah, they just don't care. Yep. So He says yeah. that maybe it might help you a little bit in the short term, but it's going and cause more problems in the long term. So it's better to just stand up and say, I'm supporting this guy. But here's the thing. <laughs> There's so many. Here's the problem. He says, <laughs> yeah, if you can avoid doing so, don't ally with someone stronger than you. <laughs> because that just makes them like even stronger and eventually they will turn on you. It's not great. Like you do have to pick, but there's pros and cons. But you couldn't side against them because then they would be your enemy and that wouldn't be good either. Sometimes you have to, but he says only side with a person more powerful than you if it's like your only option. I think of it like a big drop of water sucking in a smaller drop of water. The smaller drop of water doesn't get to be the bigger drop of water. The big drop of water just owns you now you get bigger yeah so he also says like you want to encourage your own people you know like make it so that they feel like it's a good thing for them to have enterprises and skills and starting businesses and whatever he says patronize the arts and the crafts and the trade guilds and i was like woohoo yeah yeah drink get a beer with the common folk hang out with guilds the lollipop guild especially yep, the lollipop guild i I don't know about that. So one. anyway, he he talks about like you can have three different kinds of intellect. Like you can come up with good ideas on your own. You can be able to appreciate when other people have good ideas, or or neither. you can do neither of those. <laughs> <laughs> he said the first one is great, the second is good, and the third is useless. <laughs> yeah. Wait, how, if you do neither, how is that intellect at all? That's not intellect. Well, it's three yeah. types of I don't know, but I just love that he feels like he has to. T- hey, just if yeah. you're thinking. Thinking about not being able to have ideas or appreciate good ideas, my advice is not to do that. My advice is to be one of the first two things if you Mm -hmm. can. And he also says, like, if you choose ministers who are stupid or disloyal or whatever, that is always going to look bad on you, which is a lesson Donald Trump should have learned because – you can't just choose people and then when they make mistakes, be like, oh, you know, they. I thought they That's would be good. Them. Like, I choose yeah. the best people. Oh, actually, they sucked. No, that makes you look really bad. <laughs> you have to actually choose the best people. Yeah, you do. You really do. Because he's saying if you have great advisors, it's going to make you look even better. And if you have terrible ones, you're going to look really bad. <laughs> I forget which section this was in. I think it might have been in the part where he was talking about how you have to always be prepared. Scar. Be prepared. Be prepared, (laughs) like the Boy Scouts. Mm -hmm. Anyway, he says, you know, if you just go along with what Fortune says all the time, then eventually Fortune is going to change and it won't be in your favor anymore. He says, quote, Fortune is a woman. And if you wish to keep her under, it is necessary to beat and ill-use her. <laughs> he also says that fortune is also like a woman because she is favored by young men because they are more violent and more prone to take control of her. Oh, so, I don't oh. know if I'm more favored by young men. Are you fortune? 
Oh, wait, no, you're a woman. woman. Okay, yeah, 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 sorry. Jackie. (laughs) I'm fortune neutral. I don't really have a preference. (laughs) She can't be either of them. Yeah, so that means that, like a woman, if you want to be the master of your own fortune, you have to beat fortune into submission. What does that mean? I don't know. I don't really know what that means. I know what it means, but I don't like it. I'm curious about his relationship with his wife. I feel bad for Mrs. Machiavelli. (laughs) Yeah. I hope there wasn't one. There probably was. I bet there was because he had a son. And he seemed really sweet to his son. Oh, no. Well, it was a boy, though. That's why. Yeah, but he had to have made him with a woman, I assume. Yeah. Also, a man can't just sit around in a room writing papers all day unless there's a woman dealing with all the things in the background that he needs to live day to day. So we know there's a woman. Yeah, got to be like feeding the horses and growing the rice. Yeah, doing his laundry, (laughs) cooking his rice. I imagine his wife was not doing laundry. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So he was rich? I would hope so. Or he was just dirty. Yeah. (laughs) Stank. Yeah, he was rich. He was... He was an advisor to the to the royals. I don't know how much money you get for that. So there's a few other things. He talks about how different Italian princes lost the land that they were in charge of. And he said people, they would get conquered and the princes would run away and they would always be like, oh man, you know, I can't wait for my people to revolt and tell me to come back. And then he's like, it a lot oh, of times yeah. did not happen. Yeah, they're not going to do that. <laughs> well, I just wouldn't go through all that trouble for him, the prince, that I've never spoken to. That's the thing. If you loved him, you would. But if you feared him and he's gone, why would you bring back a guy you fear? I just don't think I would fear him or I would love well, him. Well, you got to pick I one. You just be a guy. There's only two feelings. There's three kinds of intellects and there's yeah. two feelings, fear or love. And there are five good qualities for a prince and four bad qualities. <laughs> <laughs> And there's one prince. Yeah. So there we go. What about if he's a silly little guy? Is that not on there? Oh, that's under the good qualities. <laughs> Listen, I'm going to tell you this is the final thing. The final thing basically is he's like, you need to be the King Arthur of Italy. Like, I want you, you, Lorenzo, you need to unite all of the Italian people. And Lorenzo was like Machiavelli who? And if anyone ever does, you know, you'll receive glory forever. And everyone in all of the provinces of Italy will love you. And he's like, if you follow all the things in this book, you can do this. You know, there were great rulers in the past, but, you know, you don't have anything less than they did. Like, you can benefit from all their wisdom and whatever. Like, if you follow this, it'll all be great. (laughs) The end. (laughs) See, if he had just had the benefit of, like, modern advertising, I'm imagining this, like, I don't know, like, one of those late night ads or something. He's like, I promise if you buy my book, you will have the ability to do all of these things. To unite all of Italia. To conquer Italy. I'm going to walk it out for you (laughs) step by step. This is foolproof. Right here in the first 20 chapters, I'll give you the first chapter right now if you sign up for my mailing list, whatever, like subscribe. Yeah. He just needed that, but he didn't have it. But I mean, it's very influential. A lot of people have read it. There you Uh, go. Can I tell you my funny fact now? Do it. So this was very important to Tupac, who (laughs) studied the teachings of the prince while in prison. It says, while in prison, recovering from an attempt on his life, which I was like, so someone tried to kill him and they they put him in prison so that he could get better. Yeah. Oh, poor guy. I was a little confused by that. So uh, he was so inspired by it that once released from prison, he changed his stage name to Machiavelli, M-A-K-A-V-E-L-I. Did you know that? I did. Stating, quote, like Machiavelli. My name is not Machiavelli. My name is Machiavelli. I took it. 
That's mine. He gave me that, and I don't feel no guilt. That's what got me here. He gave it to me. I took it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't feel no guilt. That's what got me here. My reading. It's not like I idolize this one guy, Machiavelli. I idolize that type of thinking where you do whatever is going to make you achieve your goal. There you go. And then uh, only eight weeks after he died, uh, because he was eventually, he did get got. Yeah. Uh, he released a posthumous album under the name of Machiavelli. Well, that's crazy. What a legacy. I think he's still alive. He's in Rukaz, Africa, and no one can tell me any different, but that's for another time. Anyway, so now you know the story of the prince. You know the deal. You get it. And maybe you think you know everything. You don't. Ada Palmer does. Ada Palmer does. (laughs) (laughs) And she's going to tell it to you in the next episode where we talk to her about this. Nice. Uh, Be scary. Don't worry if you're cruel, as long as your cruelty gets you good places. Beat and ill-use women. Pretend to be Pretend religious. Pretend to be religious and throw festivals. Got that? And always make your guys tell you the truth. And you can kill someone's father. As long as... As long as you don't take their stuff. Be a fox and a lion. And always be scheming. All right. Have a nice day. <laughs> Have a nice <laughs> day. Don't forget to scheme. Yeah. Oh, email us if you use any of this in your life. Email us and let us know how it goes. Uh, Let us know how it goes. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Should I be? So, wait, you asked if I had used any of this against that resident who's my enemy. Uh, How should I use it against him? Appear to be religious. Today he made another, (laughs) he made my favorite resident cry, and I want to end him. Oh. I want to end him. Maybe you should pretend to join forces with him. And then destroy him. And then crush him. And crush him. That's honestly, that, okay, I'm not even going to lie. That was kind of my plan. When I was like knowing that he was going to come back for months, I was thinking, do I just like be aggressive to him right off the bat? No, I'm going to win him over and stab him. Yeah, nice. I hope he doesn't wind up stabbed. That's my plan. But not in a hospital, because then he'll probably get better. No, I'll send him to prison to recover, <laughs> like Tupac. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. All right, everybody. If you want to write us to tell us how it goes, our email is... Firethecannonpodcast at gmail.com. You can also write us a message on our Facebook group. You can send us a message on Twitter, Instagram, whatever. We're all at Fire the Cannon Pod. You can support us on Patreon, which is... Patreon.com slash Fire the Cannon. We love it. And if you give us $3 or more a month, you get access to all of our bonus episodes, which we don't really know. The last time we talked to Ada Palmer, it was like a five-hour conversation. It was very interesting. And some of it, we made like a bonus episode, I think. So who knows? I don't think we did. I think we just made two separate episodes, but who knows what will happen this time? Well, maybe we'll make some of this a bonus yeah so support us it's it'll be fun you'll get more episodes i want to ask her for her direct advice about how to destroy Ooh. a person maybe we'll make that a uh, a patreon bonus oh yeah that's a oh, good idea how nice. to how to yeah. by ada palmer i have something to say to the people oh this is mine any of you guys if you would rather be feared oh than yeah loved, tell us let us know because i'm curious if anyone would rather be feared than loved in your own life in your life yeah. But also, what do you think is better if you're a prince and you just want to maintain power? Well, if you want to maintain power as a prince, I it's feel like fear. I kind of agree with him. I said it was love. But if you just want to be a, a silly little guy, you want to be loved. Yeah. Okay. Well, arrivederci, I guess. Arrivederci, principessa. Oh, yeah. Arrivederci. Buonasera. <laughs> Jacob here. Here on Fire the Cannon, we always forget to actually do the thing the podcast says it does, which is decide whether the book belongs in the canon or not. Well, I'm here to right that wrong. 
This time, Jackie and Beaker feel this book can go ahead and get fired right out. Rachel, on the other hand, had a great time with it. Either way, we'll reserve our full judgment until we speak to Ada Palmer, who we're sure will enlighten us. Fire held, for now.